Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be breaking down this most recent episode of The Last of Us, this seventh episode. By the way, last week I had said there were 10 episodes this season, actually only nine. So two more to come after this episode. This seventh episode called Left Behind. Right off the top, I want to mention that as I have been recently been doing, I will be recapping the episode by myself if you're catching this very early. But if that's the case, do tune in. Later tonight, I will repost the episode and we'll be including a conversation with Celia, who was also caught up with this most recent episode of the series. And we'll also include a spoiler-filled conversation about the Amazon Prime series, The Consultant, a horror workplace comedy satire, almost a comedy, I guess, starring Christoph Waltz. And we did watch it. It just premiered last week. And we will be discussing it because... I think there's a lot to discuss there at the end. We will be getting into spoilers after a brief non-spoiler discussion, so do check out that series if you're curious. If you're only here to hear that part of the conversation, you found us during a search, are not watching The Last of Us, and don't want to get spoiled on The Last of Us, check the show notes for a timestamp to go directly to the conversation about the consultant. Also, before we get into all of that, just a reminder that we have two more episodes of The Last of Us, as I mentioned. And two weeks after the wrap-up of The Last of Us, the premiere of Succession, which just was announced this week, will be the finale, the last season of Succession. And in the in-between week, the week between the end of The Last of Us and the premiere of Succession, both on HBO, I will be republishing a conversation I had with a friend of mine, a psychotherapist, Sarah, discussing her case study of this family And I will definitely be bringing her back on the show to discuss Succession in greater detail, but have already recorded a conversation with her discussing the Apple TV Plus comedy series Shrinking, a workplace comedy about a group of psychotherapists. And I'll be publishing that episode later this week, along with our recap episode of Your Honor. That Showtime show also coming to an end, three more episodes of that. And then we will transition our coverage to... Yellow Jackets, the breakout series from Showtime from last year, now back for its second season. Speaking of HBO, in our ongoing discussion of what is happening to the streaming rights of these shows, all these shows that disappeared from HBO Max, and the fear that they would just disappear, I mean, it is it is a legitimate fear. Shows will continue to disappear from these streamers, but some news. So these shows that have disappeared from HBO Max have resurfaced on Tubi. By the way, if you are not an HBO subscriber and want to watch some of these shows, you can also tell your friends, if you don't have HBO as a subscription and want to watch some of these shows, they're available there. So here's some of them. The most high profile, of course, was The Disappearance of Westworld. It has now resurfaced on Tubi. Lovecraft Country, a series that got off to a great start, was very uneven based on a horror novel, another novel adaptation here at HBO which has a few things to recommend it. At its best, it is a very strong show, definitely has some low points, but does feature Jonathan Majors, maybe the first time that he broke out in popular culture. And Lovecraft Country is now available on Tubi, as is Raised by Wolves, the Ridley Scott-produced series that unceremoniously was dumped from HBO, a show I could never really get into, but I do know it has its fans. So if you never caught up with it, you can still catch it there. But most importantly, I think, I have a couple of friends of mine that are big fans of The Nevers on HBO. And the series had only one season produced, broken into two halves, and HBO never aired the back half of that first season. But now you can watch it, if you've been waiting on Tinderhooks to hear that, you can now watch it on Tubi. So the back half of The Nevers is premiering for the very first time on Tubi. I have a feeling, by the way, that Minx which has a second season produced as well for HBO and never aired, obviously, will probably get its premiere on Tubi. Going back to Succession, interesting news this week, not only that this is going to be the final season of the show, but also that Jesse Armstrong, the creator of the show, mentioned that there might be a spinoff of Succession. Meanwhile, the head of HBO mentioned that he cannot imagine having a show where we're following one of the siblings, for example. So these two folks have got to get on the same page if we plan to see a spinoff of that show. I'm not sure I want to see a spinoff as described, but I never say never. I mean, you can make a good show out of anything. It's really about 
having good writing and having a good vision. So sure, depending on where things land in season four, maybe we do want to follow one of these siblings into another arena of culture and maybe it becomes a political satire. Maybe it becomes a satire of startups or the cryptocurrency bubble. There's lots of opportunities. And I think Jesse Armstrong is very interested in these different facets of culture. So sure, you can make a show out of anything. I just don't think it would be the next thing I'd want to see. I would pretty much wait and see, but I would definitely be open to it. All right. As far as what to watch this week, upcoming on Wednesday, March 1st, The Mandalorian is back. Pedro Pascal, our friend from The Last of Us, protecting and shepherding another savior figure. Although I wonder just how much Pedro Pascal is involved day to day in the production of that show. I think he's in his house doing audio recording like I am right now. And occasionally shows up when the helmet pops off. But season three, the trailer looks very exciting. Looks like a much bigger and maybe more expensive already, an expensive show, but an even more expensive season of show, at least based on the preview that premiered during the Super Bowl. And that's coming back on Wednesday. So if you haven't caught up on season two, or if you weren't aware, Petra Pascal is all over your TV in yet another very successful series on Disney+. And that starts Wednesday. Something else that I'm very curious about is a series coming to Amazon Prime this very same week on Friday, or really Thursday night, premiering a series called Daisy Jones and the Six. Now, this series is a fictional history of this band, Daisy Jones and the Six, spanning a period of time from the 60s into the 70s, a period of musical history that I find very interesting and entertaining opportunity to explore this moment in history when the counterculture became the mainstream. It's based on the book written by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And unlike many series on Amazon Prime, for example, The Consultant, which drop all their episodes all at once, this is kind of splitting the difference, dropping these episodes in batches of three, I believe. So it will be playing throughout March. Interestingly, you also have an actual album. So there's a fictional, this is a fictional band, and there will be an album coming out original music of the series coming out simultaneously on Spotify. Very interested in getting a feel for this show. I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I'm curious. I'm interested in this period of music. There's a lot to explore here to look at the cultural footprint of the music of this time. So I definitely plan to watch this show, at least initially, and see how it goes. If that sounds interesting to you, check it out. Daisy Jones and the Six. And featuring Riley K.O., for example, as plus a, a large cast of recognizable cast members. And of course, she has a musical legacy since she is the oldest grandchild of Elvis Presley. All right. So a couple of recommendations before we get into this episode of The Last of Us. First of all, on Hulu, a movie called Prospect, a low-budget science fiction movie, a father and daughter are on a mining expedition to a planet or a moon somewhere. And this movie features Pedro Pascal. Victor, are you trying to tell me that this is another movie where Pedro Pascal is shepherding a daughter figure through some science fiction wasteland? Yes and no, because the father here is played by Jay Duplass, not played by Pedro Pascal. However, Pedro Pascal is a mercenary that they run into on the planet, and things go badly, as you would expect in these type of situations. And yes, indeed, Pedro Pascal and this girl start to bond against their better judgment. Now, this film isn't fully successful. It's pretty low budget. It was actually based on a very low budget independent film. They raised a few million dollars. Probably isn't fully satisfying as a standalone project. But I find it interesting in the context of what we're discussing here on the podcast. Obviously, seeing Pedro Pascal playing a very different type of role. Also, the fact that we've discussed how The Last of Us is really in many ways a Western. This film, Prospect, is absolutely a Western. Although not a traditional Western, if anything, it feels a lot like The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And it has some of the same nihilism that that film has a great film, by the way, if you've never seen it. And another thing to highly recommend this and also intersects with our discussions here on the show, it stars Sophie Thatcher as this daughter who has now appeared in the book of Boba Fett and plays young Natalie on the yellow, on yellow jackets, which of course is coming back in just a few weeks. Her performance is so good. It really elevates the material. The film, despite its incredibly low budget, actually does a really great job of placing you in this world. Some of the scenes, I can't even imagine how they shot them when they're, for example, detaching from the mothership on such a small budget, really beautifully done. 
and very convincing and very much giving you a first person view of living in this savage wilderness. And her performance is so good. She adds a soulfulness to the film that reminds me of all things of Station Eleven, another show we've obviously discussed here on this podcast. And interestingly, it is a story about how you simply have to do anything you can to survive. But rather than that feeling cynical, like it often does in The Last of Us, there is a real humaneness to the film, specifically in this character who is so single-mindedly focused on surviving and yet has this real underlying sense of humanity, which once again dovetails nicely with our conversation on Station Eleven. And that, once again, is called Prospect. It's available on Hulu. And I recommend it, especially if you are watching these other shows that we've been discussing here on the show. Now, another recommendation I have, kind of in the same vein of Prospect, and unfortunately no longer available on Hulu, I was planning to make recommendations for Valentine's Day. One of the films I wanted to catch up on, which I had not caught up on yet, was called Love and Monsters, a film that came out right at the moment of lockdowns in our pandemic and the reason it didn't make my Valentine's Day recommendation list was because it really turns out to not be a romantic comedy, although on its surface, it feels like it's going to be. It's about Dylan O'Brien, who has survived this apocalyptic event. There's a meteor that's going to crash into Earth. They have shot down the meteor, but inadvertently unleashed some kind of radiation that makes insects and amphibians, I guess, now also grow to enormous sizes. And you have these disgusting, gigantic insects now roaming the earth. And it hasn't exterminated all people. You can survive if you're smart. However, people are basically now much lower on the food chain. And the survivors live underground and make these communities and basically do not venture out unless absolutely necessary. And Dylan O'Brien's character is an odd man out. He doesn't have the right skills to live in this community. Everybody has paired up pretty much except for him. And he still pines for his high school sweetheart, and although he's never taken any kind of risks in his life, he decides to venture out and track her down and go on this journey through this post-apocalyptic world. And this is really charming, very funny. The special effects are terrific. I believe it got an Academy Award nomination for special effects. This certainly was expected to come out in theaters when you consider how polished these special effects were. But I think it went straight to Hulu, given the pandemic. Unfortunately, not available there anymore, but you can still rent on all the rental platforms. If this sounds interesting to you, I'm not that familiar with Dylan O'Brien. I did not watch the new Teen Wolf reboot. I think I saw one of the Maze Runner films, but I don't remember him standing out in any significant way. But he is really charming here. I think he does a great job of carrying this film on his shoulders. It's mostly him for long periods of time, him and his dog, really. It also features Michael Rooker here in a mentor type performance different than he usually gets to play. And he's also very charming. And this is really sweet and very gentle most of the time. Very funny as well. Not really the romantic comedy it sets itself up to be. It is more about how having a reason, even if it is something that isn't necessarily going to pan out the way you expect it to, having a reason to move forward in your life is essential, which again is another theme that we explore here in The Last of Us. So that is Love and Monsters, a lot of fun, much more lighthearted than some of these grim <laughs> recommendations I've been making in the past few weeks. And do check it out. Unfortunately, not free to stream if you have Hulu anymore, but easily rentable on all major streaming platforms. All right, finally, let's get into this episode of The Last of Us. I haven't mentioned this before, but there's this interesting title sequence here where you see this fungus spreading. You can see it taking the form of people as if it's growing over their bodies. And interestingly, it ends with these two bulbous spores, the kind that emerge from people's heads in this show. And they're in the shape of a taller and shorter figure, like our two protagonists here in the series. As the episode begins, we are picking up immediately after the events of last week. We see some tracks with some blood streaks. It looks like Ellie has found a house nearby, an abandoned house, and has Joel in the basement of the house while she's tending to his wound. He's in pain and he's bleeding out and he tells her to leave him, just leave him behind. 
she needs to head back north and go to Tommy, back up in Jackson, Wyoming. We suddenly see Ellie in a different circumstance. She is dressed almost in FBI or police sweatpants and sweatshirt, running drills in the gym, listening to Pearl Jam on a very chunky Walkman. This song, by the way, is All or None from 2002 because, of course, the world ended in 2003. There's no new music, not easily distributable anyway. So everything's from pre-2003. And I guess they're playing a little game here to think like, is this Ellie now with some new group of people? But it's pretty clear. Indeed, it is a flashback to when she was back in the Boston QZ. Ellie gets into a fight with a girl. This girl knocks her headphones off and says to pick up the pace. She doesn't want to get punished again for her slacking. Next, we see Ellie. She has a black eye. She's meeting with Captain Kwong. He tells her she has potential and he doesn't want to just punish her. She has the option to either take one path to be a grunt and end up bullied by these other folks for the rest of her life or do the work and become an officer. First path, you keep acting like a grunt so you get the life of a grunt. Up at dawn, walk the streets, walk the wall. You eat shit food, you do shit jobs, you take shit orders from your patrol leader, who'll probably be Bethany. And that'll be your life from now until you catch a bullet from a firefly or fall drunk off a roof or get your hair caught in a moving tank tread. Mm. There's the other path. You swallow this pride of yours. You follow the rules, you become an officer. You get your own room, you get a nice bed. We eat well, we don't go on patrol. We're cool in the summer, we're warm in the winter. And best of all, when you're an officer, you get to tell the Bethany's of the world exactly where to shove it. Why do you even care? I care because no matter what anyone out there says or thinks, we're the only thing holding this all together. If we go down, the people in this zone will starve or murder each other. That much I know. There's a leader in you. And one day it could be your turn. Or not. So which way? And this is the first time we have this ongoing discussion in this particular episode. Celia and I have had similar conversations actually during our recaps. This idea... Do you need a strong hand to keep people under control? Is there only this thin thin veneer of civility over this murderous monster under the nature of humanity? And that is the question we have here. This goes back to a pretty well-known story, which has been misattributed to be some kind of Native American folklore, but it's not actually the case. Its origin is probably much more recent but it is nonetheless a very powerful metaphor of the two wolves. And the story goes that a grandfather's talking to his grandson and says, there are always two wolves fighting within every person. One of the wolves is darkness and despair. The other one is light and hope. And he asks his grandson, which wolf wins? Or in some cases, they say the grandson is the one who asks the grandfather, asking which one of the two wolves wins. And the grandfather says, the one you feed. And this is this fundamental idea that Humans have both of these natures within them. And I think that is something that's being explored here as an extended metaphor within the show itself. You can give in to despair and despondency and turn on each other. These wolves can turn on each other. Or you can work together collaboratively and believe in hope and build something new. And in this moment in the show, we have Kwong is of the opinion that people left to their own devices would give in to the dark wolf Next, we see Ellie back in her room. Kwong had mentioned that she's been especially erratic in her behavior and angry for the past few weeks. We see her look over at another bed in her dorm, and we can suss out even at this point that she's missing her roommate, someone she cared for very much. We also see her reading a comic book. This is probably an Easter egg from the video game. This does not seem to be a real comic book as far as I know. She also has a Mortal Kombat 2 poster up in her room. That'll be important for later in the episode. Eventually she falls asleep and then someone sneaks through the window. Who is it? It's Riley, her former roommate. She's been gone for three weeks, coincides with that erratic behavior that Captain Kwong referenced earlier. This is Storm Reed, by the way, from many things, but probably most notable if you are an HBO fan, the little sister on Euphoria. She gives Ellie the lowdown. She's joined the Fireflies and shows her pistol to prove it. She says, I'll tell you everything. Just come with me. I'm going to show you the night of your life. 
Importantly, in the context of the show, especially the video game, Ellie has a tape by AHA. They sneak pretty clumsily and loudly out of this building, which probably is not that well monitored at all. Ellie asks Riley if she's afraid of the guards. Riley says, no, Fedra's stupid. And then, of course, they nearly get caught immediately by a patrolling truck rolling down the street. They start working their way through this maze of alleyways around the building. Apparently, Riley has been doing this for many nights and knows pretty much how to get anywhere in the city, including cutting through an abandoned building. They stumble upon a dead body who has taken some old school liquor, not moonshine, but some of the real stuff from before, from the before times, along with some cocktail of pills. And this is this is a new dead body here in the hallway. Ellie shows this morbid curiosity we've seen throughout the course of this show. And they do take his bottle of booze, which I believe is scotch, maybe Delwini. I couldn't tell from the label. Drop me an email. Need some introduction at gmail.com in case you happen to know. Immediately after they pick up the bottle, the body just collapses through the ground. It's kind of strange that this would cause this <laughs> collapse. How much this guy weigh? doesn't seem to be that heavy. Not sure. Regardless, when they get to the roof, they have a conversation here. Ellie mentions if that was the first time that Riley had ever seen a body. She says, no, of course, my parents. Maybe her parents committed suicide. Maybe her parents were killed by Fedra. We don't get enough details there. But Ellie does apologize for bringing up this painful memory. Ellie also wants to know what happened. What happened to Riley? How did she end up meeting the Fireflies? And Riley tells a story one day when Ellie was in the hole one night when Ellie was not there. Apparently, she makes regular visits to the hole. During one of these occasions, Riley was doing her usual sneaking around the city. A Firefly noticed her and was impressed by her stealthy skills. And she made the suggestion that she should join the Fireflies. And here, Ellie makes the point once again to Riley whether Fedra, as questionable as their tactics are, might be a necessary evil. More people in the kizzy, so more apartments. Ah, so Fedra's not entirely bad. Fascistic mm -hmm. bags, starving their own population. Uh, fireflies blowing up the storage depot didn't help. Propaganda bullshit. Yeah? So you don't bomb stuff anymore? Not when civilians are around. That's propaganda bullshit. One, it's okay you don't know everything. Agree to disagree. And two, we're here. The mall? You out of your fucking mind? They sealed that place off for a reason. It's full of infected. If it's sealed off, then why isn't it sealed off? And they head to the mall. Turns out this is where Riley's been planning this eventful night for her and Ellie. It turns out that as more people have arrived at the quarantine zone, Fedra has been reactivating different parts of the grid and inadvertently reactivated the electricity to the mall, maybe not even aware of the reality. Riley says that she's going to show Ellie the four wonders of the mall. This is really a magical sequence. Just the idea of being in this moment in history where technology and basically all of history have been eradicated. When you imagine these kids growing up in the world where all they know is barely being able to scrounge out food day to day and suddenly being surrounded by all these things they've probably only heard stories of. And some of these things I'm sure are magical to them. For example, Ellie's reaction to an escalator. Can you imagine? This is all pretty hilarious. Also funny to see the coming attractions, a poster for Dawn of the Wolf, <laughs> this fictional film in this world, uh, maybe alluding to the Twilight films with their werewolf storyline. Interesting that they use real music in references here in the series, but fake films. Maybe it's just a rights thing, or maybe it's another Easter egg back to the video game. Haven't played the video game, so can't say. Nonetheless, fun to have this alternate history represented here in the series. There's an interesting conversation here where Ellie wonders aloud, how come some of these shops got looted while others were not? And Riley says, I guess they looted the things they thought they needed the most. So sneakers, everybody took sneakers, but Bed Bath & Beyond and Victoria's Secret, pretty much untouched. Who needs lingerie in the apocalypse? So Riley had promised four wonders of the mall. Ellie had thought the escalator might be the first. And I think I lost count of how many wonders there are in this mall. But I think intentionally the first actual wonder on Riley's list was going to be the merry-go-round. And beautiful, this is almost certainly a set that they've built for the show, and this beautiful indoor merry-go-round. They drink some more, 
And there is some heavy flirting going on here. But every once in a while, Ellie starts to bristle against Riley and her decision to join the Fireflies. Did you really leave because you actually think you could liberate this place? Don't say it like it's some type of fantasy, Ellie. They've done it in the other QZs. Set things right the way they used to be. Yeah, we could do that too. If you come back, I mean, we're, we're like the future. You know, we could make things better. We could be running things. You could be running things. I turn 17 next month. That's when you get your assignment. You know what Kwan gave me? Sewage detail. Fuck. Standing guard while people shovel shit. That's what they think of me. Why didn't you tell me any of this? I don't know. I, I just, I panicked and I ran. And the longer I was away, the harder it was for me to come back. And obviously in a very heightened way, this is the metaphor that is being played out in this episode and maybe across the series in general. How are you gonna change things from within when the system tells you, yes, if you become an officer, if you start to run the show, we're going to change things, you get a new world. And maybe this is what people of this demographic deal with all the time. I mean, I, as an older audience member, can remember this time in my life when you know, you're know you going to college, for example, and people say, you're going to change the world. You're going to do all these things. You have the possibility of being all these things. And you go through the motions, you do what you're supposed to do, and then you realize that nothing's really changed. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You miss the starting gun, as Pink Floyd says. And now you're just part of the machine, <laughs> quoting Pink Floyd yet again you do wonder, what was it all for? And I think once again, in a very, very heightened way, that is what's being explored here that a lot of young people deal with. Do you go with the flow? Do you try to change things from within the system? Or do you go outside the system? It's also very interesting to think about the fact that here you have someone joining a radical group, a, a terrorist group, maybe even, not for any really strong principle or belief, but simply because that's the opportunity she has. After this pretty heady conversation, they go on to the second wonder of the mall. The photo booth looks like the chemicals inside have dried up a little bit. The image is not that strong. Once again, some pretty heavy flirting here, although they're very shy, these girls, to make the first move, either of them. Third wonder of the world, I believe this is the third wonder of the world now, the arcade. Of all the wonders, this is truly a wonder. And of course, they play Mortal Kombat 2. Riley has smashed open the change machine. There's infinite number of quarters. And then simultaneously, we have the camera panning through the mall, working its way into, I believe, a Halloween store. Some pretty creepy, shadowy imagery here. This is some of the creepiest footage we've seen. But then we see one of these fungus face monsters awakened by the sound in the arcade. And maybe this is the worst the special effects have looked. These look very much like foam applications to these zombie actors' face. So now this moment of dread starts to linger over the show, although the girls still have a few more moments of relief. The fourth wonder, I believe this is the fourth wonder now, or I've lost count <laughs> because there's still wonders to come, I guess. Number four, stop on this date. The pun book number two, we know Ellie loves her puns. What did the frustrated cannibal do? Lay it on me. He threw up his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Give me it. I want to go. Okay. okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what did the triangle say to the circle? Oh, you're so pointless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay um, how does a computer get drunk? It takes screenshots. What are screenshots? I don't actually know. Okay, give me. <laughs> oh, here we go. What do you call an alligator in a vest? In this moment of lightness, Ellie notices these handmade bombs, these pipe bombs. This turns out is where Riley's been stationed. So it's not just that she stumbled upon the mall. She's staying here, securing the mall, as well as keeping an eye on these explosives. By the way, we never get the punchline. What do you call an alligator in a vest? An investigator. An investigator. By the way, the frustrated cannibal punchline, very funny. But Ellie is very angry. Riley is now just a terrorist. And she finally tells her the real reason that she wanted Ellie to come. She's leaving. 
She's being sent to the Atlanta quarantine zone, and she wants Ellie to come with her. Ellie, I'm leaving. They're sending me to a post in the Atlanta QC. I asked if you could join so we could go together. But Marlene said no. Who the fuck is Marlene? Marlene is the lady that helped me get... It doesn't matter. Ellie, I tried. Tonight's my last night in Boston. Why did you bring me here? Because I wanted to see you. And? And? And I wanted to say goodbye. isn't easy, Ellie. It actually is. You just did it. Goodbye. Ellie storms off angrily, but as she's about to leave, she hears some screaming back in the mall. This is a total fake out for her and, of course, for us as well as viewers. It turns out it's just the Halloween shop. Riley has one more thing to show Ellie. They put on Halloween masks and dance around on top of the counters. While listening to Etta James' version of I Got You, Babe, Ellie asks Riley one more time not to leave, and she says she won't. And then Ellie finally gives her a kiss. And then immediately apologizes, but Riley says, for what? And they have a tender moment. And of course, at this very moment, this is when Fungus Face attacks. Riley gets a couple of shots off, but eventually gets knocked down and loses the gun. Ellie is stabbing the thing in its side. What kind of education are they giving these guys in Fedra? You have to go for the head, people. This should be zombie killing 101. Eventually, after going back and forth a few times, Ellie stabs this thing in the head, and she is so happy that she killed this thing. She's juiced on adrenaline, and you see this once again. I mean, she's a teenager, so not too surprising. You see this impulsiveness within her, but then Riley looks at Ellie's arm, and we see the bite. We've seen this bite before. This is the moment, of course, that she was infected. And then Riley shows Ellie her hand's been bitten as well. Now we start flashing backwards and forwards in time. Ellie is back with Joel, freaking out. She's looking for a way to save him. She's decided not to leave him. And we see that part of her decision is based on this experience she had with Riley. What are we going to do? Wait, I see you. We've got two options. One... We take the easy way out. It's quick, painless. No. No, I don't like option one. Option two. We just keep going. What are you talking about, Riley? It's over. It will be. But not yet. It ends this way for everyone sooner or later, right? Some of us just get there faster than others. But we don't quit. Father, it's two minutes or two days. We don't give that up. I don't want to give that up. We could just be all poetic and shit and lose our minds together. What's option three? Turns out there is an option three. Ellie is immune, but of course nobody knows this at the time. And of course, Ellie was emboldened in that conversation to stay, to fight to the very end, no matter how long that was. And that's what she does. She decides to stay with Joel. We've jumped forward in time to 2023 again. She's with Joel, stitching him up. He may pass out in the middle of this. I'm not sure. And that's where we end the episode.
so this was another really strong episodes after last week dealing with all the complexity do you quit do you give up do you accept the fact that we're all going to die one day anyway so why bother or do you fight do you fight to the very end even when you know there is no hope because maybe just maybe there is something there's something more even if it's just having a few more moments together i do wonder if on the show we will see more of ellie's backstory still curious to know i assume this is my assumption that kwang protects Ellie, I think he's actually the one that probably delivers her, eventually delivers her to the Fireflies. Maybe she wanders off with Riley only to watch her die and she does not get sicker. And then who does she turn to? Or maybe she goes directly to the Fireflies herself. But more interested to see this story because how tragic is it for them to be on this death run, spending their last days together before the infection takes hold? And for Ellie to watch Riley get sick and die and either have to run off on her own before she becomes a danger to Ellie or Ellie having to kill her or if she asks her Ellie to kill her. Either way, a terrible experience that Ellie will have to endure and then only for her to discover she's not even sick. She's not even going to change. A few takeaways from the featurette at the end. I like how Neil Druckmann, one of the writers of this series and the creator of the game, describes this as post-apocalyptic cutting class, a very interesting metaphor. It's very true. And also a mention, as I already stated, that Riley didn't quit on Ellie and Ellie survived. And now she's not going to quit on Joel. Next week, coming attractions, more survivors seem to find Ellie. We still don't know what is Joel's fate. He seems to be unconscious or potentially dead. I don't believe he's going to die in this season of the show. And then are these people saviors? Are they some kind of risk? Is there a sexual danger? We have not seen any kind of sexual threat yet on the show, but maybe that is going to change next week. Things do seem like they're going to go badly there. Shades of The Walking Dead yet again, yet again. But I am curious to see how the show lands and uh, curious to see where this show ends up viewership-wise by the end of its run. In case you've been following this or have not been following this, the show just kept picking up more and more viewers. That uptick was disrupted somewhat by the Super Bowl, even though the streaming was made available earlier. HBO did not disclose total viewership for that week. But Nielsen now, which is always a month delayed, has started to publish its weekly ratings, streaming ratings. And between the Nielsen weeklies and the day of viewership on HBO across its different linear platforms, viewership is pretty close to, even through the first three or four episodes, pretty close to where House of the Dragon is actually beating it on the streaming charts, by the way, week to week. And that is the most successful first season of a show they've ever had, the House of the Dragon, that is. So if this exceeds it, what a huge phenomenon this show would be. And a real surprise for me, I got to say. I did not think this show would have that kind of appeal to be even bigger than a Game of Thrones spinoff. And yet it probably will exceed the total audience for that show by the end of its run. A shocking, phenomenal success. All right, so two more episodes now after this week. I do believe they are headed to Utah. I'm not sure how they're going to get there in just two weeks. Maybe that doesn't happen till next season, which would be weird, but I'm not sure how they're going to structure it. There will only be one episode after next week, and next week they do not seem to be in Utah. Remains to be seen how far they truly make it. And if you're catching this episode early, this is the end of the episode. But do come back later. I'll be discussing this same episode of The Last of Us again with Celia in greater detail, and also discussing spoilers for the Amazon Prime show, The Consultant. An interesting, not fully successful, but interesting series nonetheless, definitely worthy of discussion. And that conversation will be starting right now. So, Celia, you watched the seventh episode, seven of nine, by the way. So this was 10 episodes, it's actually nine. So there's only two more after this one. And uh, it was called Left Behind. What'd you think of this episode? It was so good. I mean, I love the relationship between her and her friend. I liked seeing how her bite came about, which was very dramatic. Yeah. Just to see what do you do when... You're that age for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the escalator was so fascinating. And <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. The whole mall. I don't think yeah. about this stuff. And I'm like, I guess that would be really fascinating. They've never seen a mall, right? Think about it. It's 20 years. So these girls have never been in the modern world, right? It would be like going to a theme park, which is what the episode felt like. I actually think they would be afraid of the escalator the first time because you can remember like when your kids go on this escalator for the first time and they're little. I think that even as teenagers, you still have the same intimidation, right? <laughs> I feel like Ellie's a daredevil though. She was really That's true. into it. That's true. Plus they egg each other on. They're always like, you know, even if she's scared, she's never going to show it in front of um, Riley. I thought it was amazing. I love the interaction between the two of them, but also very, very sad. Yeah. It's what you're expecting. This is an unfortunate world that they're all in. And relevant to what's going on with her and Joel in the present tense, because she's making the decision to stay with him no matter what, right? This is the same decision she made with uh, Riley in the past. It was very humanizing to see them in yeah. that situation they were in. You also get a lot more background on the fireflies yeah. during this and the two viewpoints where are they terrorists? Are they really out for the betterment? It depends on your viewpoint. So I right. like that the show is not so simple. Yeah. You see it with uh, the captain when he uh, Kwong takes her uh, aside too and is saying, these people will tear each other apart if left to their own devices. That may not be true. And uh, Storm Reed's character, Riley, even says in other quarantine zones, they've liberated people. And we actually know that in other quarantine zones, they have collapsed and people have had successful communities created afterwards. But then we saw what happened in Kansas City, where those people obviously had terrible leadership and all ended up dead. So it all depends on the circumstance, right? Different strokes for different folks, I guess. So sad, though, seeing how excited they were to yeah. walk mm -hmm. around in a decrepit mall. And then the fact that the clicker was in there was... Yeah again, giving out such dread. I'm watching these kids and I'm like, so worried about them. Well done. And excuse me if I don't sound perfect, but I'm in a hotel room right now for work. <laughs> so I'm hoping I don't sound like too terrible. Yeah. Not as good as you usually are, but it's it's not too bad either. So, but But do bear with us, everybody. <laughs> this is the best room that I can get the best connection in. <laughs> yeah. When the, you see the clicker, I think it's interesting that first of all, of course, there's always dread. You know, this is when she's going to get bit. So you can't really let your defenses go down. But then there's that moment, which is actually really creepy the way it's the, done when they're playing Mortal Kombat 2. And you see the camera roaming through the mall and then going into the Halloween shop. And then you see the, that infected waking up from, from the noise. But of course, they're so mindless. It just really stays in the shop. It just happens, unfortunately, that they wander into that shop before the night is over. And of course, we knew inevitably they were going to get bit. I was a little surprised to see that they both got bit. I thought it was possible in one scenario where the Storm Reed character did not get bit and actually takes her back to the Fireflies. And that's how she found her way into protective custody. But this is way more tragic because it's like they have a terminal illness or something. They're just going to stay together until this is over. And of course, you have to imagine that within a day or two, you're going to see Riley turn. And of course, Ellie's not going to turn and then she's going to wait to turn and she's never going to turn. So she's going to have to make some terrible decisions, either watching her friend turn and then she's going to have to kill her or she'll have to run off and be alone again. And I wonder if we're going to actually see it. Do you think they'll have us spend more time with this Riley character or do you think maybe she'll tell us what happened, but we won't actually revisit this timeline? I would like to spend more time with the Riley character because she is definitely an ally to Ellie and Ellie's very strong willed. I'm assuming what happened is that they put her there to, I guess, watch their bombs or whatever she is guarding. Yeah. And that's how she knows them all so well. Right. Then because they both got bit, I'm thinking they come back for her and instead find Ellie who has not turned. Good this point. is how that's they must have found her. Yep. So I don't know if they're going to have to go and explain the situation. It seems pretty obvious. And then when she doesn't turn, of course, it's going to be very curious for everybody. And that's, of course, where we're at now in the story. Well, where they started, they had her chained to a wall. They kept making her repeat the same information as if right. she's going to 
lose her mind at some point overnight and right. they kept checking her wounds. So they must have come back and found her there unturned. Right. Well, at the beginning of the series, they state that she's been in that circumstance for weeks and she has not turned. Uh, but of course, she's been on the road for months now with um, Joel. So this is not something that is delayed reaction. It's just not happening <laughs> you know, at this point. It's not like, you know, which is of course what they were probably worried about at the beginning. And some piece of dialogue earlier, they were describing how it can take a day, it can take weeks for people to turn, right? So they were probably waiting to see, and it like starts in your legs, and then it works up until it gets to your head. Ellie has shown none of those symptoms, right? She has not only, it has not progressed, she's not losing her cognitive function, even if she was one of these people who was just changing slowly over the course of weeks, apparently there are symptoms that you're going to see that you're starting to lose your faculties. She's not having any of that. And of course, at this point, there is no doubt, like you saw when Joel was talking to his brother last week, he said, I saw her get bit myself. Like, so she's been bit again in his presence and that was months ago and nothing's happened. So that's, you know, absolute proof that this is the case. I would like to see more of her friend, you know, beforehand, but I feel like we're not going to see that they might have a snippet of her, but I was wrong about them having leftover fireflies and that Mm -hmm. those people were going to help Joel. I was wrong about that. Really, it was Ellie who is going to save him herself. Yeah. Right. She stitches him up here at the end of this episode. Yeah. Good girl. (laughs) She seems to not know what she's doing, but that's what I would do too. I'm just like, stitch it up like a turkey. I don't know what I'm doing here, but but she should have washed it out first. I don't know what you're going to find to wash it out. That's the other problem. The dirty water in the house is probably not going to be good for washing out the wound, but uh, maybe in that circumstance, the best thing you could do is bleed it out, right? Because it's actually pushing out whatever might be in there. The blood itself might push it out. So, I mean, I don't know. If you don't have anything antiseptic, don't put anything else in there. That's for sure. <laughs> Poor girl, though. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does she know? <laughs> this is rough. She doesn't even know what an escalator is. I mean, she's not going to be able to figure this out. But she did know about the video games. <laughs> she was she really did, good. Right? She picked that up really fast. Well, kids love video games, right? So you could imagine like they've probably watched movies. They've probably read books. They probably have interacted with pop culture from that time period. And I'm sure, you know, even if they're just reading gaming magazines, they probably fantasized about it. I remember when I was young, video games were still like going to the arcade and playing video games before you had consoles at home. And I would read the magazines and read like reviews of the games. And I would, in my mind, these games were way more advanced than they were when you actually played them because like the reviews made it sound like it was so evocative, the storylines and everything. And then you play the game and it's just like, you're just punching someone in the face and the pixels, you know, it's like six, 16 pixels or something, but uh, <laughs> the game would be, she has a Mortal Kombat 2 poster on her wall. And then she actually gets to play the game at least before all this goes bad. I do hope that Riley turned slowly because like Sam turned overnight. So hopefully she does get to spend a little time with Riley before she turns. She might turn quickly because if you think about it, You know how if someone's younger, they tend to have a much quicker progressing disease because they're still developing, whereas certain cancers, for example, when you get older, you can last a much longer time because I guess your cells are not turning over as quickly or- Yeah, that's true. I don't know much about this. So I'm assuming (laughs) she's going to be quickly turned into a mushroom- Yes, unfortunately. I think it's probably true. I also found it funny when Ellie attacks this guy, when he's going after Riley, she's trying to stab him in the side. I'm like, what are you learning in your military school that you think that stabbing this thing in the lungs is going to take it down? Don't they teach you you go for the head? First shot, you go for the head? I don't know what they're learning in their military school. They haven't <laughs> disclosed the wrong that. Things, all. Apparently. I just saw them running around in circles and kind of true. bullying each other and- Who knows what they're learning over there. This is all I saw. So, I mean, I liked this for character development and to figure out the origins of how she originally got bit. And it also explains how the fireflies got a hold of her and why they had chained her to a wall and why they're even on this trip. So I think that this accomplished a lot in the way of explanation. I think maybe the most interesting thing in the episode is this ongoing conversation they have of these different perspectives where Ellie says, we can change the system from within. And she's saying like, no, we need to change the system from outside. Like she needs to join this revolutionary group. On the one hand, 
it's the fact that we all experience that, right? Like when you're in college, they tell you, what do you want to do when you do when you will grow up? And what are you going to do? And, and everybody has these fantasies of all the things you're going to accomplish. And then of course, 20 years into your career, you're saying, well, I'm just going to stick here a little bit longer so I can get my pension or whatever it is. And you realize you're just like another cog in the machine and nothing's really changed. <laughs> right. And then on the other hand, I find it also interesting that it's not even that Riley has these really strong beliefs. Like if she had gotten placed as an officer it within the military school or when she hit 17, she probably would have decided to stick around and see if there was a way to change the culture from within. But because she got this crappy duty, she's thinking like, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Literally. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Crappy duty. Literally. Exactly. She was in charge of poop shoveling and that made her very angry. So that's how she ended up a firefly. I think that's what happens to people in their lives, right? It's not that I have these really, really strong beliefs. It's just like, I have no future in this particular life. So I'm going to make a change because what's my alternative? (laughs) I don't have one. A lot of times people make choices purely based on circumstance, one way or the other. Or you could be like me. I just get bored and I go, well, what if I did that instead? And then I just make a new career. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have more limited options in this world than, (laughs) you know, unless- In this world, you know, changing careers would be, do I do I want to scoop poop today or do I want to burn bodies today? That's that's the Yeah, the I was about thing. to say, in all seriousness, most people do move from career to career or whatever, job to job, because they don't like their management. Sure. And they don't see a future in the situation that they're in. And the fact that she was giving poop duty is uh, (laughs) like a giant force to get her out of there. I had the impression that she found out what her duties were going to be. And she was doing this thing (laughs) where, yes, it's all about the duties. She went out frustrated into the night, as I guess she had done before. It sounds like all around a frustrating situation. And she ran into these fireflies who saw something in her and took her on. I have a feeling they had been watching her. They didn't just come upon her. Yeah, they probably watched her because she they seen her yes. be stealthy in the past. She has some skills. And she's obviously unhappy with her circumstance that she's roaming the streets every night. Yeah, and she didn't even really want to follow them. She just didn't right. want to be in her circumstance. And she, she didn't like the something future. Else, right? She wanted something else. And there's not a right. lot of other options. So I think that's how she fell into that. They wouldn't let Ellie come along, according to her. I doubt they even know Ellie, right? So for all they knew, it would be too big big of a risk, right? Like you're bringing another person from inside this military school. They could rat you out. They might not have any skills just because she's her roommate or she has a crush on her. There's a lot of reasons to say no, right? So Yeah, because she could be a liability. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Ellie is out and about also being stealthy and she's completely untested. We're going to trust this teenager's gut instinct. That makes no sense at all. Yeah. And they can't just recruit anybody, especially when they've been raised to think completely differently. They could be spies. They can be, uh, they could just quit and go back and just in returning a month later after quitting halfway through, they could rat them out and destroy, you know, compromise the entire, you know, organization. So it's a terrible risk. Yeah. What did you think of it? I liked it. It was really good. I liked all the humanity of that, you know, them being together, just uh, having this crush, having fun. Could you imagine you've never been to the mall before? It's all these lights and the way it's photographed too. It's as if they are at a fairground or something instead of an ugly, dingy mall, which we, I hate going to the mall, but they made this thing look like it's an amusement park. I thought it was terrific. I was wondering if anyone could see them because the mall had those glass overheads and yeah. they had every light on in there. But then I'm like, I guess it doesn't matter Who's in the looking? plot. Yeah. <laughs> Who's looking, right? I do so. love that they went by Victoria's Secrets and they're yes. like looking no, at but- this stuff. I used to work for Victoria's Secrets in one of my careers. <laughs> and I was there for a while. Even I, while working there, and I'm guilty of having some of these things because they used to give them to us for free at one point as promotions. Why does anybody want this? Putting it in the situation that they're in is even more bewildering 
it is it is odd when you are in their situation, all dirty and grimy and wandering around an infested mall with who knows rats and mushroom people. And there's the thongs. And as they were explaining that, think about that. Everyone's going to need sneakers. You're going to eventually uh, wear through whatever ones you have. Even if you have a new pair, you're going to wear through them eventually. And they are not making new ones. So you need shoes. You need jeans. You need jackets for different weathers. You need any kind of weapon. I'm not just talking about hunting bows and stuff. I mean, literally just go and get cutlery from the cutlery section of a, a Walmart, even if, if that's what you can get. All those things are absolutely essential. <laughs> Lingerie, not essential. Different sm uh, smelling the Bed Bath & Beyond, for example. Yes, you want regular soap, absolutely. But all these like flavored candles and all this crap, not necessary. Definitely not like when you're packing up to move from one village to another, not bringing all the scented candles with you. Not important. I would totally bring those though, because you can use them for light. In all honesty, not only do you use them from light, if you have, you're staying in some dingy rundown place, it will at least make the thing smell pleasant. I'm just saying that if you have one bag to carry with you, you're not filling it up with candles. <laughs> I don't know. I know you could put a lot. <laughs> That's of, all you're bringing. I brought the candles. Lots of thongs would fit in a bag, though. You could this get is like true. You would have two hundred thongs and just one menstrual cup. <laughs> Ew! I still think that's really gross. I don't understand it. I don't even want to think too hard about the menstrual cup because it's. <laughs> I didn't know those things existed, but I'm like, what are they doing? I did notice that there were stores in this mall that have gone out of business, like way before yeah. now. And they were still there. Like, I think it was a spree. I'm like, a spree is still in business. I guess it would have been 20 years before that. In 2003. Exactly. Everything shuts down in 2003. So and they're very on the money with this, by the way, too. When the episode opens, she's listening to that Pearl Jam song on her headphones. And that album came out in 2002. So of course the world ended in 2003. Can't be any music after 2003. They are really good at putting a timestamp on what would actually be happening. And then I actually was wondering, is this like a real mall or did they build they built this it, yeah. whole mm -hmm. set? It's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They built it in like a warehouse. Very impressive. Yeah. Very cool. I'm excited though for next week because I'm very worried about Joel. So yes, we don't see him again. Exactly. So I am worried. Yep. He's not dead though. I know. He's I can't. Not no, I think that's they a gotta, fake out. They got to the keep him so. going. Yeah, I believe so. I think he's going to at least make it into the beginning of like next season. But I don't know. I haven't played the game. So maybe that's the twist that he dies. I don't know. I don't know. The kids keep playing the game. And I'm like, why do you guys do this? They're like, we're going to play the whole <laughs> game so that when we do watch the series, we can follow along like backwards of yeah. what a lot I of people do. are doing that. Yeah. yeah so they're doing, doing that. that. And of course, there's millions and millions of people who've already watched the game, uh, have played the game, I should say. By the way, the ratings are through the roof. It's been outpacing House of the Dragon, which is already is huge. And uh, speaking of House of the Dragon, just a little more news here as well for HBO shows. One is that they announced House, House of the Dragon is coming back spring 2024. So it will not come back this year, but early next year. And uh, they also announced that Succession, this will be the last season of Succession, the one that starts next month. I love Succession. Yeah, can't wait for that. One more thing I wanted to talk to you about. I previewed it at the beginning of this episode, so we're going to have to talk about it now, which is I wanted to get your feedback since we I haven't discussed this with anyone else, but I know you've watched this with uh, the consultant on Amazon Prime. How did you land with that show at the end? I like that show. I was wondering the entire time if this guy was the devil. I, yeah. We should probably, I guess, not give a lot of stuff away. I don't think he was the devil, no. but I still think he was a devil and really weird stuff I have questions about that I maybe I'll I'll ask you. What's up with the golden bones? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let, let's let's do a spoiler-free section. This is a satire stars Christoph Waltz. I gave this thing a review last week, so do check out my review there. I don't want to spend too much more time uh, before getting into spoilers. But if, if you're not clued into what this show's about, it's basically a workplace satire about this video game company in San Francisco, I believe it is. Something tragically happens to the CEO of the company, and then this consult consultant shows up to take over and 
He has no biography. He's a very mysterious character. I don't think, by the way, uh, Celia, that you're spoiling anything by suggesting that he might be the devil because the show is basically has him lit in red constantly. When he walks by the computers in the servers, they all turn red. Like So it is very much like satanic um, symbolism all over the place. And as a matter of fact, I don't think he's the devil, but we'll get into that when we get into the spoiler conversation. I found it entertaining also. I actually, the reason I wanted to discuss this with you is because I found where it landed at the end was really entertaining to me because I feel like the show is telling you it's one thing. And then when you get to the end, it turns into something else, which I thought was pretty clever, even though I thought the last episode was kind of just, eh, okay. But I did like just the the button on the show and where kind of everybody's biography goes from this point. Uh, I'll leave it vague uh, in case people haven't watched it yet. But do check it out if this sounds interesting at all. Like if you liked Severance, this is not as satisfying as Severance, but it has some of the same appeal that that had. Christoph Waltz is very entertaining in this character. Uh, and it's very easy to binge. It's all available at once. This is on Amazon Prime. It's called The Consultant. The episodes are 30 minutes long, and you can knock this thing out in a couple of nights if you choose to. Give it a chance if that sounds interesting. And now for the rest of the episode, we are going to spoil the end of this series. So tune out if you do plan to watch it. Celia, tell me what you thought. And then you said you had a lot of questions. Go ahead. Start asking your questions. Spoilers in effect. The golden bones. What's yeah. Why... <laughs> Are those his bones? Are people using them for something? Yeah. So apparently it's his bones. So when the, they started saying that he, at least the jeweler's talking about how he has all these bones made out of gold. When they said there's 206 of them right away, I was like, oh my God, he's making a whole skeleton. And then I didn't know what the purpose of it was. But then I realized that, of course, that's the problem with him walking up and downstairs. He weighs a lot. You hear whenever he's walking on the glass, you hear the, the glass like cracking under his feet or straining under his feet. And then I was like, oh my God, does he have a golden skeleton. And that's why he weighs so much. And uh, because someone even says that earlier on, how much does he weigh? Right. So, yeah. uh, so somehow he has magically replaced his entire skeleton with these bones. And of course it's very funny because then you have this whole backstory where there are these people who make these artificial limbs. So I guess that's some of the technology he's using here, but you can imagine you can replace one bone at a time through very, very um, painful surgeries. But how do you replace your skull? <laughs> your brain is in there. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, that was creepy. And then the creepy girl with the fake jaw and she had, yep. why would someone do this? Did he pay her a lot of money? What is going on there? Yeah, I don't know if that's ever explained other than just being another one of these kind of tantalizing, weird elements. I'd say, by the way, that I think this is where the show is interesting to me, that for the really long time, it is setting itself up as this guy's the devil, he's tempting these people, he's an evil guy. Then That's the head fake that the show is making. I think that's why they're leaning so aggressively into the devil thing. I sent you a text message at one point, like I think it was halfway through the season, saying, if this show has a twist at this point, it's that he is not the devil <laughs> because they've been like painting him as the devil since day one. I thought he was a devil, like something that escaped from hell, but not like, you know, the king. The point of the show, I think, is that this guy has done what he said he was going to do. So he's not Faust, who is having them sell their souls for their success. Maybe that's happening, but that's not his point. His point is to be a consultant. He is doing what he says he's going to do. He makes her into the CEO. Everybody at the end of the show is a better version or the better version of what they were at the beginning. And even he follows through and makes the company successful. And now he's moving on to the next job. He's not going to stick around and torment these people. He's moving on to the next job because he has done his job. And I think that's what's interesting about it. It's not to say that he's a good person. And that's the point of the show, I think. For these people to be successful business people, it's like a critique of capitalism, you need to have no morality. So for example, it's not that he wants to kill that elephant, it's just that it gets them publicity and that's good for business. It's not that he's trying to do bad things, he will do what he needs to do, good or bad, to make the business better. And for example, 
that guy breaks up with his girlfriend. Yeah, you shouldn't be with her. <laughs> so in other words, he's just doing what he said he was going to do. He's going to improve your circumstance. He's going to make the company run more efficiently. He's going to make everybody more successful at what they're doing. And the reality is the collateral damage is terrible. People lose their lives even. And that doesn't matter because what matters is the company is doing better. And then that's like where it becomes like a critique of capitalism. When you say he's a devil, to be successful at business, to make money, you have to basically not give a crap about anybody else. And then at the end, when everybody kind of loses their scruples and says, screw it, everyone's kind of like, I feel great now. This is terrific. We're doing great. <laughs> and that's the irony of the end of the show that I thought was really pointed, really pretty clever. It was. And we found Mama Sang the whole time. <laughs> yes. I, exactly. So where exactly. Is Mama you think Sang? she's like murdered or something, and she's like been having a great time. See, the revelation about her is very important to the show because he's not like I have to kill her so that I can improve my position, which is what you're thinking. No, he told saying that he was going to take care of his mom. And he did. He just got her out of the way because he knew what needed to happen to get to that point. But he didn't want to kill her at all. He just wanted the plane turned around, turned yeah. the plane around. Well, because well, well, she was going to get in the way. She was going to get I in know. the way of what was happening. Exactly. I was pretty addicted. I saw it all at once. It took me hours, but I saw the whole thing. I'm like, why am I still watching this? So it is addicting. Yeah, I was in there pretty quick too. I watched the first four or five episodes right away, like the same night. And then I finished off the rest in the morning. Honestly, the last two or three episodes are maybe the weakest of the show, although I love that button at the end, like I said. But the last two or three episodes, it feels like even at a total of four hours at that point, there's not enough story for that much of a show. Maybe if it was six episodes, it would have been better, is my opinion. But the reason I did still binge the end is, and this is what's really clever about releasing a show like this all at once, it's actually the right way to release the show because maybe I would have quit halfway through. Since it was only half hour episodes and I only had like another hour, hour and a half to polish it off, I was like, of course I'm going to finish it now. <laughs> I'm already this deep into it. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to watch it to the end. Yeah. And it's very watchable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. His performance is pretty amazing, though. He's great. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah. I, I'm always so a fan good. of his in general. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks great. Doesn't he look good? Yeah. Does look great. I think that aside from Hans Lanza, which is such an incredible performance in Inglorious Bastards, one of the most iconic villain performances of all times, in general, he has really tried to not play that type of role because he doesn't want to get pigeonholed. Even he won an Academy Award also for Django Unchained. And obviously obviously that is a really gentle and uh, philosophical and intelligent and humane character, not a villain at all. So even there, he is playing a different role, even though he's working with Tarantino again in both those films. But he, in general, he has avoided this villainous type character. And first of all, like I said before, he may not even be really be a villain, first of all, here. But second of all, is just like he has now had enough different types of roles over the past, you know, 10, 15 years where, sure, play a villain again. It's fine. And he eats it up. He just has so much fun playing this role, obviously. Yeah, he's very charming. Very. Yeah. He's menacing and and charming. Like I yes, exactly. I'd hang out with him. I would always keep one eye open, but I'd be entertained yeah. enough to hang out with him. He really does seem to want for them to improve their circumstance, even as he is kind of pushing them sometimes into very uncomfortable situations. But like you said, it's tr he's charming enough where you could understand people wanting to get to know him, hang out with him, see what he's about, instead of just being afraid of him or not wanting to be around him ever. It's a, it's a good performance, and I think it's important to make the show work at all. All right, so I'm very excited to see what happens in the next couple of episodes. Also speaking of Pedro Pascal, maybe just as he disappears from this show, potentially, possibly, he's going to be in The Mandalorian, which comes back on Wednesday. Although I'm not sure he's really in that show, by the way. <laughs> I think he just turns up when he has to take his helmet off for like one scene per season. And the rest of the time, he's doing weird doing. You're just sitting in his house recording <laughs> into a microphone. <laughs> it's possible. That's my personal opinion. That's what I think is the case, actually. So, But uh, we will, two more, just two more episodes and then... After that, we start covering succession. So very exciting stuff. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.